Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where we unapologetically cast aside denominational traditions and refuse to embrace clever church trends so that we can continue to be enlightened and shaped by the beautiful combination of biblical truth and Holy Spirit power. God is still seeking those who worship in spirit and truth. And for those who answer that call, there will often be a sense of being a maverick or misfit who can't quite fit into the status quo Christianity. The Mavericks and Misfits podcast will empower you to find your tribe, among others who simply want what is true and what is real in God's kingdom. And now, let's join our host, a self-proclaimed church maverick and ministry misfit, Jeff Lyle. You know, I've had a couple of um, incredible days in the Lord, and it was probably unpacked in one of the most unlikely places that you would think a guy like me would have a wonderful time in the Lord. Where was I? Well, <laughs> I was at a women's conference. That's right. I was at a women's conference with about, I think, over a thousand women. And I was one of less than maybe 40 guys that I saw. And the guys were all typically either serving the women or were related in some way to the conference speakers. And that was the case for me. My awesome wife, Amy, was one of four women that got to speak at the conference. And it was just an incredible time because I got to be kind of a fly on the wall and observe what does the kingdom look like when kingdom activities are being orchestrated by women for women. It was a women's conference. The dudes got out of the way and the women did everything. They did all of the vocals on the singing. They did all of the preaching and teaching. Um, they put on the conference. The hosts were uh, female. And it was just a great time at the North Georgia Revival Women's Conference. It was called Ignited. And the messages that the ladies brought, and they were preaching primarily to women. It was a rare occasion where women get to speak directly as women into the lives of women who are hearing it as women, applying it as women, and all of the testosterone and the male um, kind of paradigm was wiped out, and it was just the women being the daughters of God, and it was incredible. I mean, it was just such an encouraging time. And it got me thinking again on the kingdom. Um, I have written about the kingdom. I have preached about the kingdom. I have blogged about the kingdom. I am constantly looking at my life and the world around me through the lens of the kingdom of God. And I want to take just a few episodes here on Mavericks and Misfits. And I want to do a few podcasts about various aspects of the kingdom. I want to, I want to let it be so broad that we can talk about anything in the kingdom. But I, I come from a place where kingdom was um, never the priority. And the, the phrase kingdom of God used interchangeably in the Bible, I believe, with the phrase kingdom of heaven. But the more one that I'm more familiar with and probably even a little more comfortable with is the kingdom of God. And uh, we didn't talk a lot about that beyond just reading the phrase in the Bible in the tribe that I uh, kind of came into Christianity with. And it was only later on that I just started seeing all throughout, especially the New Testament, but I mean, you cannot deny it in the Old Testament, that, that God has always been seeking to establish a kingdom where, of course, his son Jesus Christ is going to be the central figure and rule and reign as the king over the entire created order. And this is not simply some wish that Almighty God has. This is a decree that this is the way it's going to be. And so I want you to think along the lines with me. 
God has always been working to establish an, a kingdom on planet Earth, and not just limited to planet Earth, but because that's where we are inhabiting. I want you to know his intention is to establish the kingdom on planet Earth and that his son, Jesus Christ, will be the human divine king over all the created order forever and ever and ever. Amen. Now, that's a massive thought, but do you know what? It's kind of become an afterthought or an assumed thought or an unexplored thought or a taken for granted thought. And I just want to spend a little bit of our time today in talking just a little bit about what's not the kingdom and some mistakes that we make frequently as we think about the kingdom. Um, You may be interested to know that when Jesus Christ began his public preaching ministry, that his first sets of messaging were very little other than this, repent for the kingdom of God is here. As a matter of fact, in the very first chapter of Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus started preaching and here was his message. This is quoted from Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's Mark 1.15. So guys, Jesus, when he initiated his messaging on earth, it didn't look like our messaging. What is our messaging today? Well, unfortunately, it's been reduced to this westernized version coming from the 19th and 20th centuries and continuing into the 21st century. It says, ask Jesus into your heart, believe on him, ask him to forgive your sins, ask him to come in your heart, and you'll go to heaven when you die. And that's kind of the message of the unthinking church (laughs) in our day. Ask Jesus into your heart, ask him to forgive you of your sins, accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, and you'll go to heaven when you die. Except Jesus didn't preach that. Now, listen, I don't want to split hairs. I'm not saying that you can't come into the kingdom through um, a, a sincere moment of repenting of your sin and asking Jesus to come into your heart if that's the expression you gave to surrendering your life to Jesus. I'm not going to bark about that. But what I'm saying is it's such a formula now in churches to where it's not even examined anymore. Because Jesus never said, ask me into your heart and I'll save you. <laughs> the Bible speaks of believing with our heart and confessing with our mouth. But ultimately, what we need to recognize is that the kingdom of God, the entrance into the kingdom of God begins with repentance. A metanoia is the Greek word, changing your mind, changing your way, changing your thoughts, your attitude, your heart posture towards the Lord. And repentance is granted through the Holy Spirit, but repentance is embraced and acknowledged and confirmed in the will of human beings as we say, Jesus Christ is Lord. I am not Lord. I am a sinner who is estranged from God because of his or her sin, because of our sin, and I need to be rescued. And when we say yes to Jesus's offer of his life as the sacrificial lamb and also the Lord of all, we come into a relationship with him that the entry gate is one of submission and repentance. And that's why Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Repent, he said. Believe the gospel. So I think about the kingdom on a nonstop basis. I really do. I see the kingdom. When I read my my Bible, I see the kingdom in the life of Old Testament guys, like Abraham and Joshua and David and Solomon and Isaiah. And then when I'm reading in my New Testament, the kingdom's everywhere. If, if you just look, it's there through the words and the lives of, of people like John the Baptist and Peter and Paul and the apostle John, as you know, in John's gospel, he's recording the very heart of Jesus as the son of God. 
And you just read these writers and they're constantly talking about the kingdom. And then sadly, I just think we've lost that in the church. Here's something you may be interested in knowing. You may be surprised to learn that Jesus only mentions the church, the ecclesia, twice. Only twice. Whereas he references the kingdom um, no fewer than, I think, 40 times just in Matthew's gospel. Now, Now, listen to that. He doesn't talk about the church like we talk about the church, but he talks about the kingdom and we don't talk about the kingdom. And when you get, you know, out of the writings of apostles, Peter and Paul and John in the gospels, then you end up in the book of Revelation. And when you get to chapter 11, verse 15, at the end of the age, a time that hasn't happened yet, we see the undeniable cataclysmic toppling of the kingdoms of man And you see in their place, there's this eternal establishing of the everlasting kingdom of God. Let me just read you Revelation 11, 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. So again, the kingdoms of humans is replaced with the eternal establishing of the everlasting kingdom of God which is going to be eternally ruled by Jesus Christ, who's the king over every king. And so now think about this. Those of us that have confessed Jesus as Lord of our lives, we, we are currently alive. We are alive within the kingdom of God. We are citizens of the kingdom of God in this very present moment. And you say, Jeff, we know all this. Okay, well, let me tell you why I'm talking today. What, what I'm concerned about is that I think it's actually possible and, and, and prevalent for those who are alive in the kingdom to exist daily in ways that do not evidence that we are alive to the kingdom. We're alive in the kingdom, but are we alive to the kingdom? Now, friends, my personal experience within the kingdom is never going to be larger than my personal value of the kingdom. So my appreciation and your appreciation of God's kingdom will never exceed what we view as the extent of God's kingdom. And I'm not even talking really geographically because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So geographically, if you're wondering where God's kingdom is on earth, it's everywhere. And his glory is going to cover the earth like the, like the waters of the sea. Well, but you know, what, what do you think the extent of God's rule and reign and dominion and influence and, and the character of Jesus in that sense of God's kingdom, where do you think the outer border of the kingdom is? Like how, how far does the kingdom go in your mind? Who, who do you believe is actually in the kingdom? But who do you think is excluded from God's kingdom? And, and is there room in the kingdom for those with whom you strongly disagree? Man, I mean, 2020 was the year of the church turning on itself and cannibalizing itself because we disagree on stuff like politics and cultural stuff. And there were some people that thought, you know, I mean, I heard this. I, I hear it from both sides of the aisle, but there were literally some people on from the conservative side and the political side that would have advanced Donald Trump to another term. That, that There were some among those people that were, were literally saying, if you vote for anybody other than Trump, you're not saved. Now listen, I've got very strong political opinions and you, you can disagree with me, but I, I've made a commitment in my life. I will never, ever vote for any candidate that I knowingly, uh, that knowingly uh, supports or endorses or advances abortion. I will never do that. But I would not go so far as to people who, to say people who voted in this election for Biden can't be saved. Are you kidding me? Listen, they, they may be wrong on those issues. 
You may be wrong on those issues if you voted for Biden. Matter of fact, I'll just be bold. I think you are wrong on those issues if you voted for Biden because abortion is a, it's just a damnable activity in our country and it's going to invite the wrath of God. <laughs> That'll be for a different podcast. But if you're saying that people who confess Christ as Lord and yet disagree with you on politics can't get into the kingdom, then you don't know the kingdom. So my, my question today is how big is the kingdom of God to you? Is the kingdom bigger than your home church? You say, sure it is, Jeff. Okay, was it, is it bigger than your church's denomination? Does the kingdom make room for those other people who call themselves Christians? But think about it. They, they worship, they pray, they serve very differently than you and your Christian tribe. I mean, do they get in the kingdom? Some people embrace the concept of the king, kingdom being like huge, vast, and immense they embrace that concept, but they still picture it as being only filled with people who share their particular theology, their traditions, their preferences, their modes of worship. I mean, when you close your eyes and you think of the, um, the heavenly state and uh, the eternal state, what do those people look like? If you're white, do all those people look white to you? If you're black, do all those people look black to you? If you're Hispanic, do they all look Hispanic? Or, or for if you're Asian, do, does the kingdom look Asian to you? Well, it's all of those things, but it's not limited by any of those things. And so some people think that the kingdom is vast enough to be celebrated with, I don't know, contemporary Christian music, with guitars and driving drums. But they would say, but eh, it's not really kingdom. You know, I'm not going to affirm the sincerity of those who worship to a piano with hymns on a cello or a harp. <laughs> I mean, surely that's not kingdom, is it? Well, suburbanite Christians, let me ask uh, my fellow suburbanites, um, is there room in your kingdom, your view of the kingdom, for gospel hip-hop with lyrics that are like flowing faster than your mind can process in the moment? Is that kingdom? And for those of you who believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, can those who believe that those gifts have ceased, can they find a place in your conception of the kingdom of God? I just did a whole series on the gifts of the Spirit. And we don't always agree on it, but if you're, if you're a tongue-talking charismatic who believes in prophecy, miracles, signs, wonders, and healings, does the cessationist get into the kingdom in your view who doesn't believe in speaking in tongues at all? Are they, are they saved? Are they citizens of the kingdom? And then on the other side of the aisle, just to be fair, for all of you sola scriptura Calvinist cessationists who are out there, is there a seat at the king's table in your mind for a tongue-talking charismatic with fire in her eyes? Is that possible? You see what I'm doing here? I'm exposing our prejudices. I'm exposing that we are skeptical that there's a place in the kingdom for those who are very different than us. I take, for instance, this. I, I love evangelism. And just recently, in the last maybe five, six months, I've upped my commitment to the Lord to be a more engaged witness of the gospel in, when I'm out and about in the community. But I'm going to tell you something. I've met some hyper-evangelistic people who will boil down the entirety of the purpose of the present age in the kingdom. They'll boil it down to be little more than just soul winning, soul winning, soul winning, soul winning. And they frown on people who aren't evangelistic as they are. And then you got the other people that believe that the foundation of the kingdom has got to be in-depth discipleship and Bible study and soul healing and going deep and, you know, I mean... All, all that stuff's good. Who's going to argue against evangelism? Who's going to argue against discipleship and going deep? But my, my question is, for people that don't share your 
your emphasis. Is there a place in the kingdom for them as you view it? And not a token place. I'm talking about, is there a valid place? In other words, is God enthusiastic about having people in the kingdom who look nothing like you, worship nothing like you, serve nothing like you? You see, now we're getting into the nitty gritty. Listen, the faith community, my, my church, my people at Newbridge Church, uh, we're, we're part of a group of people that is committed to round-the-clock prayer and worship. Our, our prayer room never closes. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're celebrating 15 years of that going on in our partnership with IHOP Atlanta. And we send missionaries to places where the gospel is not known. We just sent some off last week, a group of 20-somethings, maybe early 30s, sent them off to a, uh, an unnamed place in the Middle East to be gospel witnesses for Jesus. But could there be a temptation maybe in me or in us to reduce the entire kingdom down to 24-7 intercession and foreign missions? Could we be that cavalier? Could we be that arrogant? And, you know, we'd be given a token nod to all the other activity that churches prioritize, but we might suspiciously wonder, if, do they really take the kingdom as seriously as us if they're not praying 24-7 and they're not sending missionaries out like we send missionaries out? Do you see what I'm saying? We like to slice and dice the kingdom, and we like to make our slice the most important. And what I think God's calling us to in the church right now is a deeper degree of humility, maybe a humility that we've, we've never, ever known before. So... I, I'm just going to tell you, my personal belief is that we all tend to reduce the kingdom of God to look something similar to what is most important to us within the kingdom. We take a part and we make it the whole. We take a good part of the kingdom and we inflate it to where it eclipses all the rest of the uh, valid parts of the kingdom. We take a part of it that is precious to us and our favorite part of it and most important to us, what we're passionate about. We take a part of it and we say, this is the kingdom. And God says, no, that's actually a part of the kingdom. That's far too small to be the entire scope of my kingdom. And attached to that clarification from the Lord is a command to humble yourself, child of God, and stop making the immense, immeasurable, vast kingdom of God, quit shrinking it down to something that is just merely important to you at the exclusion of what might be important to others. I'm, I don't think any of us really make the kingdom too big. We submerge the concept of the kingdom <laughs> into the chilly waters of our own preferences, our own religious prejudices, our ministry priorities that are important to us, our pet doctrines, our ecclesiastical comfort zones, and we, we, we submerge the entirety of the kingdom into those cold waters, and it shrinks. I've, I'm being honest. Most American Christians work hard to shrink the kingdom of God down to something that suits their own personal taste, but it doesn't stretch their personal soul. Think about that. It suits their personal taste, but it doesn't stretch their personal soul. And I think that the Lord, I'm, I'm going to strengthen that. I really believe that the Lord is calling the church to expand her affirmation of all that pertains to the kingdom of God. It's not your church. God help us if the kingdom is merely a bigger version of our own church's theology and values and practices. Uh, when trouble hits, some people feel like the walls of their view of the kingdom closing in on them. When trouble hits, the king himself seems to shrink in love or provision or, 
or power towards them. It's like God gets small. Jesus gets small when trouble hits. No, he doesn't shrink at all when trouble hits my life. I battled cancer in 2020, almost lost my wife in 2011, almost lost our son in 2005, right after he was born. And let let me tell you something, God didn't shrink one iota during those times of fear and uncertainty and difficulty. Guys, the kingdom of God is not confined, nor has it ever been to anybody's present circumstances. So when life gets heavy, gets tight and small, think about this with me. The kingdom of God does not change one whit. It remains the same. Why? Because the king is ruling and he is the one who never changes. Our conception of the kingdom might change. Our experiences within the kingdom do change. They ebb and flow. Sometimes it's titanic and it's powerful and it's amazing. Other times it's quiet and still and it can even feel suffocating. But the kingdom itself is so much bigger. You need to remember that. American Christians really need to remember that. Guys, come on. I think we have, we have made a laughing stock of ourselves in the past 18 to 24 months because Christians all over the world are like, Americans are panicking over the state of the kingdom of God because their country is in a political disarray. And Christians are becoming far more uh, concerned about their politics than they are about the kingdom. And it's, it's a mockery. It's a disgrace, quite honestly, because there are people all over the world that are dying for their faith and being tortured for their faith and being imprisoned for their faith. And we're trying to attach the future of the kingdom and the church of the living God to whoever's in the White House. Now, go ahead and be as political as you want to be, but keep it out of attaching itself to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has gotten along fine long before there was an America. And the kingdom of God, listen, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And some people are thinking that because their political party is not getting their way, that the kingdom is going to atrophy or be reduced to nothing. And then think about this one. What about divisions within the kingdom? The divisions made by us in the church. Remember with me what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4. The first six verses of Ephesians 4 are worthy of you committing to memory. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, verse 3, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 4, 3, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you get that? That is such an important passage of scripture for those who love to slice and dice the church up and do, you know, splinter groups and denominations within denominations within denominations. You know, we've divided the visible manifestation of the kingdom. When God says, no, actually, there's just one church. And by the way, there's just one faith and there's just one spirit and there's just one God and father of all. And he's over it all and he's through it all and he's in it all. Now, listen, it could be that some valuable things emerge from Christian denominations. I'm skeptical, but it could be. But I guarantee you that whatever your denomination is, does not now and never has given full and accurate expression to the entirety of the kingdom of God. I grew up a denominational mutt. I was in the Christian church, I was in the Baptist church, I was in the um, uh, CMA church, Christian Missionary Alliance church, 
I was saved as an independent into an independent fundamentalist Baptist church. I have um, been various uh, degrees of Baptist for most of my Christian walk, and then ultimately. Um, serve now in a non-denominational charismatic assembly because I believe that, that we most accurately represent what the kingdom of God is all about because we most accurately reflect what you see in the New Testament church in the book of Acts. But I'm going to tell you, my theology and um, you know my, my tribe, it does not give the perfect, accurate expression to what the kingdom of God is. We have our flaws. We have our blind spots. We have our deficiencies. We're missing stuff. So is your, your denomination. My Baptist friends, my Lutheran friends, my Methodist friends, my Wesleyan friends, my Presbyterian friends, my Catholic friends, I'm telling you, you've got to turn loose of the schism and the slice of the kingdom and get in the word of God and, and say, what is the kingdom? Holy Spirit, show me what is the kingdom and what isn't the kingdom. And I'll just throw this on while I'm piling on. I'm passionate about this. I hope I don't come off sounding angry, but I'm passionate about this because people are wasting their lives serving a slice of the kingdom and missing everything else in the kingdom. And I'm a pastor. I, I care about how you walk out your, your Christian faith. And there's so many incomplete representations of the kingdom that people conflate or inflate and make it out to be the entire kingdom. Your personal passions within the kingdom do not um, exhaust the entirety of the kingdom. Listen, all of these things have a valid expression in God's kingdom, but again, they don't exhaust the kingdom. They don't tap it out. And that's why we together collectively, we together are the body of Christ. We all have a part to play. We all have a facet that we see. We all need each other because when we're together, we give a more accurate reflection of what the kingdom's about. To the degree that we're divided, so is the representation of the kingdom of God. And let me just finish up with this. Ultimately, the kingdom of God orbits one around one primary focus. The primary focus of the kingdom of God is a glorious, eternal, and perfect throne. And it's occupied by an immeasurably awe-striking king whose name is Jesus. The kingdom is about his glory. The kingdom is about his matchless name. It's about his decrees, his power his sovereign authority, his beauty, and his immeasurable love and grace. It's, it's King Jesus who defines the kingdom of God. It's his passions that will define the kingdom for an endless eternity as we move into the future. And because he loves the children of his father, he has made us, his, the children of God, a priority in the kingdom. I mean, Jesus has done that. Jesus made the children of God, the children of the Father, a priority in the kingdom. So we get to love what King Jesus loves. We get to proclaim what he proclaims. We get, we get to obey his assignments as we continue to say yes to the calls that King Jesus releases to his own kingdom citizens. Friends, we get to facilitate what he ordains. We don't get to substitute anything. We don't get to choose a part of what Jesus wants and make that our life. We go for all of it. Why? Because he died for all of it. He rose for all of it, and he's coming again to establish all of it. Hallelujah. I mean, King Jesus has already established a throne in righteousness and justice. That's right there in your Bible. In, um, Psalm 89, 14 says that he established his throne in righteousness and justice. So we commit to live our lives under that righteous and just throne. 
salvation by grace. That, that salvation by grace through faith, that's the song of the kingdom. Love and selflessness, that's like the inhale and the exhale of the kingdom. Love is the inhale of the kingdom. Exhale is the selflessness in the kingdom. And faithfulness and endurance, that's kind of like the, the pavement in the kingdom. That's what we walk on, faithfulness and endurance. And joy and peace serve as the atmosphere of the kingdom. I'm just, may the Spirit of God pry our eyes upward and off of the paltry, um, pitiful, pathetic world that we allow to grasp such large chunks of our hearts and minds. You and I have got to be brave enough to recognize that the God over all eternity is not diminished. When we are struggling, when the church is struggling, when America is struggling, my goodness, we need to repent of Americanizing the kingdom. God wants to be welcomed in all of his bigness, if I could say it that way. Straight, God wants to be welcomed with all of his bigness straight into the tightness of our current impossibilities. Let the kingdom come into your life. Throw off the fear of man's opinion. Let's discard these stupid, shrunken views of God's kingdom that, that have been created in the first place by like religious controllers or visionless cowards. And they think that safe and small is the best way God's kingdom could ever be represented. I mean, imagine that, safe and small. That's the kingdom of God? Where'd you get that from? It's not supposed to be safe, and it's certainly not supposed to be small. But that's where people have reduced it. And so the goal for many in the kingdom is to keep quiet, play it safe, try to you know hold your breath till Jesus comes again. That is not kingdom. That's fear. So I think as, you know, as we press into the end of the age, let's press in to start loving others. Just like Jesus loved and loves them now. Guys, kingdom people are, are supposed to be radical. We, we have way too many moderates running the show in the kingdom. Moderates are never entrusted with revival. Moderates rarely experience breakthrough unless a radical brings it into their presence. And yet we've got moderates that are, are kind of running the messaging of the church. And I think what's going to happen in a younger generation, if you're, if you're a young millennial or even a Gen Z listening to this, I want you to know God wants you to be radical. Your, your generation needs radical people that are sold out for Jesus. That doesn't mean you're not teachable. It doesn't mean you're not accountable, but it does mean you're radical. It means you are willing to count the cost and pay the price for Jesus and safe and small is not in your vocabulary. Small K kingdom people, you know, the little K, small K kingdom people, they're allergic to risk. They'll actually defend their rights not to live courageous, uh, courageously because their highest virtues have become their own safety and comfort. And so I'm just saying we need strength and kingdom strength is found in our humility and repentance. And maybe today some of us need to confess to God that we have unknowingly made an idol out of our lesser loyalties at the expense of really living in the glorious expanse of the kingdom of God. Now, look, I'm out of time. <laughs> I am not out of words, but I am out of time, but I'll save some for next time. But I want to remind you again that the message of Jesus Christ was the kingdom of God. That's got to be our message too. Anything less than that, I'm going to just say boldly, anything less than the message of the kingdom church Message of the kingdom, my Christian friend. Anything less than that coming from us, it's an inadequate, it's an incomplete and inauthentic representation of the heart of the king. 
So that's going to be my closing thoughts today. I appreciate you listening. I hope you've been stirred uh, towards the kingdom. If you want to find out um, more on this topic, I've written about it in my blog at transformingtruth.org. You can go to transformingtruth.org and you just check the blog archives. There's actually a whole subject called kingdom and there's several, several blogs under that subject there. Uh, also on transformingtruth.org, there's video and there's all my social media accounts. And listen, I would love to connect with you. If you've got ideas about what you would like to hear on upcoming episodes of Mavericks and Misfits, the podcast, um, email me personally. I will read your email personally at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. Those are singular, maverickmisfit.com. Email me at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. Tell me what you'd like to hear. Or give me feedback on this. If you're um, enjoying what you're hearing, let me know. If you don't like what you're hearing, I'm happy to read that too. But um, if you are enjoying it, give us a positive review wherever you're listening to this and help us get the word out. Um, again, I believe that there are shifts happening in the kingdom of God and that uh, there may come a day where you don't go to a church building on a Sunday because the government's closed it down. I'm not an alarmist, but I could see that happening in our culture in my lifetime. Um, and I just want to say that we need to go ahead and take advantage of every opportunity to advance kingdom truth and thank God for technology. And that's what we're doing here on Maverick Misfit. You can help us do that by sharing Maverick and Mis- uh, Mavericks and Misfits podcast and uh, get the word out there for us. All right, my time's gone. God bless you. Hey, I hope you've been stirred. We'll talk to you next time. Have you gotten a copy of Jeff's book? His autobiography titled Figuring It Out As I Go shares Jeff's journey from being abandoned at childhood to journeying through the maze of addiction as a teen and young adult into his supernatural deliverance at the age of 24 and then into the fascinating pilgrimage into the depths of the Holy Spirit. Order your copy today at jefflyle.com or anywhere online where you buy books. You can also hear Jeff narrate the book by ordering an audio copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at audible.com.